podcasts of Joe Walsh and Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Well, with the politically inspired violence, in addition to the caravan making its way to the border, uh, law enforcement is back front and center in advance of the midterm elections. And it's uh, playing a key role, part of a substantial debate, difference of opinion, in important races like, say, the Florida governor's race. Uh, Andrew Gillum, the Democrat candidate there in a hotly contested race with uh, Congressman Ron DeSantis, had this to say on a blog talk radio show uh, this week that's now become sort of front and center in the Florida governor's race. This on police, Andrew Gillum on police, the mayor of Tallahassee, uh, which has one of the higher uh, per capita murder rates in Florida. Anti-police? No, I'm for police accountability. But look, law enforcement society cannot work. And quite frankly, law enforcement can't do its job if it does not have a trusting relationship with the community. At the time that a law enforcement official has to go to a weapon, to a gun, to a baton, to a taser, then they have already have to go too far. By their very presence, by the very trust that they uh, inspire in community and in society, they're supposed to be able to bring most situations to heal. So the issue with what he said is not that uh, police need a trust relationship with the populace they protect and serve. Of course that's true. Right. No, the issue is... The issue is when they go to their taser or gun, they've already failed. Um, did they fail in Pittsburgh when they shot the man who murdered 11 people at that synagogue? Was that a failure? Uh, Wayne Ivey, who's the Brevard County Sheriff down in Florida, reacting to Andrew Gillum's statement. And as such, as comments about law enforcement officers and those that wear our badge, they're, they're disgraced. They're disgusting. Um, the men and women of law enforcement put their lives on the line every day to protect themselves, our citizens. Um, and for him to say that if they go and, and take a tool off their belt to protect themselves or one of our, our community, they've gone too far. I personally think it's him going too far with his anti-cop rhetoric and, and his anti-cop mentality. And you, you don't have to look too far to see where that's gotten the people in Tallahassee and certainly where it would bleed over into the state. For more on this topic, we're pleased to be joined by Thomas Ruskin, a New York City police detective, president of the CMP Protective and Investigative Group. Thomas, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, just before we get into the particulars of uh, law enforcement response uh, to both the Florida shooter, I mean, excuse me, the Florida bomber, as well as the uh, Pittsburgh synagogue shooter, um, your reaction to uh, what uh, what Gillum had to say and the reaction coming from certain quarters of law enforcement? Well, I agree with the sheriff. I think that, you know, cops are trained of how to protect themselves and the public. And when they have to go to one of the tools on their tool belt, it means that the situation, for one reason or another, has escalated to that point. I'm not going to pull out a taser if someone's shooting at me. Mm. I'm going to pull out my gun or go to my car and get an automatic weapon that I'm issued by the department to protect myself and other people. If I'm running into a temple because there's a mass shooting or an active shooter situation, I'm going to be taking the, the most extensive weapon that I have on my tool belt or in my car to protect myself and to stop that person from injuring or killing anyone else. And then and when it came to the, the synagogue shooting, you know, we should mention that th four police officers were also shot 
responding. Do you know how ultimately he was taken down? He was taken down because those police officers, those brave officers who ran into danger, some of them only with a 9mm gun when he had a semi-automatic AR-15, were shot but also were able to shoot him numerous times. I wanted to get your reaction to something else because this is really a technical matter. Um, so you need sort of an expert in the space to help us distill it. The report is the, that armed officers didn't enter the synagogue for at least 30 minutes. And uh, there's some suggestion that one of the things that's a legitimate topic of discussion is that different localities have different policies about first responders entering premises with or without SWAT teams. And so I just wonder... New York City probably has one protocol you're familiar with. Pittsburgh may have another. And I just wonder what the uh, the thinking is and if there is some standardization across uh, this particular issue. It's a very, very good question. So the standardization across all law enforcement agencies now, and this came out of Columbine years and years ago, is that officers used to wait before going in. Now, whereas I haven't heard that report out of Pittsburgh, it's my understanding that officers followed the new protocol, which is the active shooter protocol, which means that they go in. So if you're there by yourself or you have other units responding, you go in immediately to try and confront that active shooter. They felt in studies and critiques after shootings that that is the best way to possibly stop or eliminate the threat to... uh, people who may be in danger. And, and I suspect that uh, what happened in Parkland with the uh, school resource officer on premises probably informed some of the response going forward, too, to situations like that. Well, as you bring up the Parkland officer who may have stayed outside and not gone in, and there seemed to be video of him standing outside, that's why he ultimately was fired, because he didn't follow the protocols mm-hmm. of going in. He was the officer who was assigned to that school to protect that school. If you don't have that officer going in and confronting that, in this case, that kid gunman, then you really have lost the reason that you have those protocols. Other officers who responded went right in, even with their, you know, 9 millimeters. Now, a 9 millimeter is vastly outgunned if the person has an AR-15 or a shotgun. But they feel that confronting that person will stop him from him or her from shooting other people back to the the pittsburgh the shooting at the synagogue president trump uh, had suggested armed guards might have helped stop that shooter do you think certain synagogues certain schools should have armed guards at the door well i you know we come down to dollars and cents and you know i don't care if it's a synagogue or any other house of worship you know sometimes funding for that type of security is hard to come by and you know it's very good if you can afford it but if you can't afford it then it's just one of those things that you have to rely on the police department in this case they didn't have an armed guard and their armed guard could have been the first to be have been shot but they didn't have an armed guard and the police did respond and responded i haven't heard anything about them waiting outside it's my understanding that they did confront the gunman the 911 tapes that I heard were of the police saying that they're under fire in front, that the gunman has come out and confronted them, and it stopped him from going through the school. So I haven't heard anything about the cops not going in for 30 minutes. Okay. I uh, wanted to uh, get your take on something that was a piece of both cases, the bomber 
as well as the, the shooter. Social media. In the case of the uh, Florida bomber, uh, he had made threats on social media. One local official apparently had reported him for making a threat against her. And then, of course, we have become familiar with the rants against the, the Jewish people by the shooter in, in the synagogue in Pittsburgh. And I just wonder how much uh, social media factors into police investigations these days. And what, if anything, more can be done for response to threats that are made? Because I, I, as you mentioned, a dollars and cents issue. Well, this is a dollars and cents issue, too. I mean, the police can't track down every uh, offhanded comment that's made on, on Twitter or Facebook or wherever. And so just how the police conceive of that whole new area of policing to some extent. Well, police departments are having specialized units monitoring different social media outlets. In the case of Bowers, uh, he was on a social media thing called Gab, mm -hmm. and it was gabbing about uh, his anti-Semitism views. Um, police also depend very much on the public. And someone making a call saying, it's very good that this guy's ranting, but it seems to be getting extreme, and maybe it's something you should look at. I doubt that that, that happened in this case, unfortunately, because mm -hmm. it potentially could have stopped this shooting. But that's what police depend on. Not only do they monitor it themselves as much as they can and their resources allow, as you alluded to, but they also depend on that telephone call and the old saying, if you see something, say something. Uh, and and uh, going forward, as we have these discussions, it seems like we get sort of we come back to the same place. Uh, Bill Peduto, the mayor of Pittsburgh on Meet the Press, talked about the need, essentially talked about the need for gun control. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 the increased incidents, I think, per, at least perception wise of these mass shooting events, although Again, during the Obama years, and I'm not ascribing blame, I'm just comparing time periods. Mm -hmm. We had 14 mass shootings during President Obama's tenure, too. So I'm not sure the politician in the White House is uh, so that there's a particular nexus to this kind of violence, whatever inspires it, hate or politics or some combination of the two. So uh, how do you address the calls for you know, more uh, government oversight of social media, more regulation of guns? Uh, as the means to help the police do their job. Are those helpful discussions to have, or are they sort of missing the mark? I, th I think that they're very helpful discussions. I think that we have to look at licensing and potentially, you know, if someone is becoming emotionally disturbed, how do we judge that person moving forward? But relative to the rhetoric, <coughs> it's... It's very important that our elected leaders, the people that we depend on every single day, draw down the rhetoric. And I don't care if it's on the right side, the left side, or in the purple. They have to draw it down, and we have to come together as a country. Because no matter what color you are, what religion you are, or where you came from, we're all Americans. And we have to protect each other. That's what law enforcement people do every day. It didn't matter to me if I was responding to a robbery in progress, who was being robbed or who the robber was. I responded with the same eyes of looking for the guy who was committing the crime and protecting the person who was in danger. It didn't matter. And that's what cops do every single day, risking their lives around this country and in Chicago themselves.
He is Thomas Ruskin, New York City police detective, now president of the CMP Protective and Investigative Group. Thomas Ruskin, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your insights. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer.